All right. So, hey, we are live. I am here with our friend, uh, Jerry Tallow. He's really a mentor, a coach, a, a church father um, to Watermark OC. For those of you who don't know Jerry, obviously our community has changed a lot in the last year. Uh, suffice to say, a lot in the last three months. And I have Jerry here to have a broader conversation. It's really a, a, a Bible study on a very specific topic. But before we jump into that, Jerry, man, we're, we're in like a different day here. I, I was kind of sharing before we started recording. Uh, I'm at my house. I'm on a daddy daycare, as it were. And uh, I got the babies in their crib, uh, three of them, after lunch. It was a <laughs> rifle. It was a, a shotgun lunch. And then uh, the two boys are going to jump online. Get this, Jerry. You're going to appreciate this because I know you're a student of the Spanish language this last year plus. Uh, these boys are going to jump on an, on an online Spanish class with, um, with a team of people from South America. They're, they're oh. going to be chiming in. They, they, it's crazy. So, you know, that's our day. But, uh, it, you know, so you can speak into that as we introduce you, uh, the how it's interesting times right now, uh, and then broader you know, it's tough times. It's challenging times. I mean, part of the bio that I'll share on your behalf is you've been a pastor for 40 plus years on the, on the East Coast. You've seen through thick and thin. You've seen a lot. Um, kind of talk to us about this context and also broadly how, how you've weathered challenging storms in the past. Well, anyway, good to see you, Ben. Hello, Watermark <laughs> family. Uh, I'm growing my hair out. There are no barbers here in my house. I'll look like I did when I was in college. Right. Um, you know, I think there's a difference between a crisis and a trial mm. for every Christian household. Nationally, people are arguing over whether it's a crisis or it isn't. Not going to get into that. How it affects each of us determines whether we're in a trial or a crisis. Now, all crises are trials, but not all trials are a crisis. James says, count it all joy, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. when you fall into various trials, because they're going to perfect something in you. So yeah. I'm a firm believer, whenever this stuff happens, I've learned not to overreact after all these years in ministry. By the way, you make me sound pretty old. What was it, 100 years you said I was doing this? Uh, <laughs> it's a hundred years thing, worth of experience. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. The yeah. first thing I look for is, all right, Lord, based on your word, I know, first of all, you're after something in me and mine because our walk with you is inside out. So show me that, and then show me how it's supposed to manifest itself outside of my walk and how I can serve others. And I would just recommend for all of us out there, we do that. And uh, to the parents, I know there are a lot of young parents at Watermark, and I just love that. You've been listening for a long time to people say that those that run the school system are the experts, and you're an idiot. Yeah. And it is not true. You're the ones that taught your children to communicate. You taught them how to eat. You taught them how to read. I mean, all these little lessons when they were young, you have the ability in you now, no matter how wild and crazy it might be at your house, uh, to take them to the next level. You're the expert. You're the dad and mom. God has placed it in you. And, you know, I'm out here in California, but my wife and family are back east. I would pay to have that problem right now. Okay, that's the end mm. of my speech. That's good. Thank you. That's so much to think about. And I love what you talk about inside out. Uh, to, to, we talk a lot about at Watermark, the inner journey, right? Mm -hmm. Keep, keeping our soul. And um, boy, do we need those, the, our heart and our minds to be tethered to uh, 
Jesus tethered to his word, tethered to truths, instead of letting the external stuff break through that and, and get out of order. I love that. I love that you double down as you always do, have done for me personally as a father and um, just theologically that um, parents have an office too, and they have yeah. a, a, a mantle of responsibility and, and authority. And that's a great encouragement to parents. So thank you for that. So um, like I said, we were in this passage uh, a couple of Sundays. I think it was just last Sunday. It was last Sunday. I have no concept of time now, of course. It was last Sunday. <laughs> there is no time, we're right? <laughs> right. Preaching out of Acts 2. And there's this wonderful, powerful, awe-stricken moment uh, when the first century community, the first Christians, uh, they, they, on the day of Pentecost, um, uh, get the, the Spirit of God descending on them and in a, in, a, in, a, in a wonderful and miraculous sort of way, um, the, the believers in this gathering, they break out in at least 15 different uh, 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 national tongues. Now, they were speaking intelligible tongues. They were speaking intelligible languages in this passage, but it's often confused with, with other references in Scripture uh, of, a, of a prayer language or a, a glossolalia or, a, or speaking in tongues. Now, please, Jerry, just start us off this conversation with some introductory remarks so we can get our bearing on, on the theology behind tongues. Okay. Um, briefly, Ben asked me what, to give you just a brief background. I was born again into a charismatic church on the East Coast, so those are my roots. Um, the problem with that was there wasn't a lot of really uh, solid theology taught about the doctrine of tongues. And so I have spent, what, 40 years studying this, uh, and there is a difference between what happened in Acts chapter 2 at the Feast of Pentecost and what we read about down the road. So do you want me to get into this now, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So first of all, this word tongues, whether it's used in Acts 2 or everywhere else we find it in the New Testament, is that Rus word glossa. G-L-O-S-S-A, which comes from, or from which comes glossolalia. And this means a tongue of uncertain affinity. In other words, where its root and connection is. It could be heavenly or it could be earthly. So we see right away that the writers of the New Testament are setting us up for uh, a language that's beyond our human capacity, whether I'm speaking in Russian or in the language of angels. It's either heavenly or it's earthly in that regard. In Acts okay. chapter 2, this is the only occasion recorded that we know of where there were several different human languages being spoken in that setting, in that, let's call it that congregational setting, that required the ability to communicate in all of those languages. You know, you mentioned mm -hmm. at least 15 of them. Mm -hmm. and, and so what happened there, as you know, the Holy Spirit fell. And, and what is this Pentecost? Everyone keep this in mind. In the Old Testament, from time to time, the Holy Spirit would fall on people, and his anointing, his, his power uh, injection would be upon them to accomplish things. Right. When Pentecost came. It is fulfilling what Jesus taught in John 15 and 16 at the Last Supper. I'm leaving. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. He's going to dwell within you. So whether it's tongues or the fruits of the Spirit, it is the life of Christ's Spirit living mm -hmm. in us, and it doesn't get any better. That's so awesome. the issue isn't arguing over tongues. The issue is rejoicing that we have the Holy Ones 
spirit in us. So that's what happened here. Now it's in everybody. In Acts chapter 10, there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he lives in Caesarea, which is about 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And the scriptures tell us that he was a devout man seeking the Lord. He oversaw an Italian cohort of soldiers there. And, and then Peter has this vision where he's in Jerusalem, and he says, Holy Spirit says, I want you to go to this guy's place in Caesarea. His name is Cornelius. Uh, I have something for him. So Peter goes, not going to get into it all for the sake of time, and they meet, and it's important that verse 24, listen to this, it says that Cornelius was expecting Peter and had called together his relatives and close friends. These were people all speaking the same language. These were people that were versed in the Greek language because thanks to the roads Rome built, Greek had already become a national language, if you will, or an imperial language. Right. All right. right. So it's just his family and his close relatives that are in the house mm. with him, probably a gated yeah. compound. But how many people? 30, 40, 50? That's it. This wasn't a setting where there were people speaking eight different languages, all the same language. So Peter is having this conversation and then, and then uh, with Cornelius, and he says, all right, I'll start to preach. And he starts getting into the gospel. And what happens? While Peter was staying, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from those who had been circumcised, who had come with Peter, was amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Okay, here's the thing. Why would let's say 30 of Cornelius's relatives be speaking in 30 different languages there. And what does the rest of the Bible say about these events in Acts? One more example in Acts 19, Paul finds himself in Ephesus. And it says when he came there, he found some disciples. Now again, the city of Ephesus, these people in that church spoke the same language. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? his baptism? And they said, no, we've only received the baptism of John. What are you talking about? So Paul taught them about it. And then he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues. So keep in mind in Acts 2, it had a specific purpose to reach people that did not understand the common tongue in Jerusalem. In these settings, everyone already has a common tongue. They all spoke the same language. All right, that said, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is giving us a list of the gifts of the Spirit. Keep in mind, folks, the Hebrew mind didn't think like the Western mind in terms of a checklist. So there are not just nine gifts of the Spirit, but he's, he's citing these nine here. One of them, one of them is speaking with tongues, and then associated with that is interpreting those tongues. He explains it in verse or in uh, chapter 14, we're going, we're going to get to in a minute, but I will tell you this. This public use of tongues is supposed to be a much more rare use, sorry, bad English, a much rarer use of this gift than other gifts like prophecy, like healing, like faith. And Paul gets into that. And it's interesting, before he does the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, here's how he opens it. 
if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, and then he goes on and he says, you know, I'm a clanging symbol. Without love, it doesn't matter what gifts you have, what power you have, and so on. But germane to our discussion is his opening. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, so he's making a differentiation. Angels here means an angel, a heavenly spirit, a messenger from God, a bringer of tidings. So Paul is differentiating between a human tongue and a celestial tongue. This is very important, whether I speak with the tongue of men or of angels. Well, no, he really means if I'm speaking in tongues, I'm speaking in other language. If that's the case, that's the language of men, because it's in another human language. We all understand that, you tracking with me, Ben? You're my audience here today. Yes, man. I'm good. I'm tracking. And by the way, people who are watching this, uh, if you haven't already, please grab your Bible app or your Bible out. And right now we're starting the First Corinthians chapter 13. Jerry's doing a wonderful job of couching this in the context. He's setting it up, uh, giving really great line by line. So this is great, Jerry. Okay, so now we get into chapter 14 where he explains it. And by the grace of God, we'll come out of this, folks, with clarity. All right? So... Chapter 14, verse 2, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Right here and again later, Paul is making it very clear when anyone speaks in, in tongues, whether it's in a public service as a gift of tongue or a glossolalia, the language of angels in my prayer time, I'm speaking to God. And he goes on to explain Look, if you get together and everybody's speaking in tongues, people are going to think you're crazy. Uh, but if you prophesy, they'll hear and understand what you're saying. So he goes on. Why speak a mystery of God in Russian if everyone else in the room is speaking in English? Right? You've already got a mystery to God you're, you're speaking, and you're going to do it in a foreign human language? That isn't even logical. Now, Look at the purpose of tongues. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. What is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit that God gives to us, no matter which they are? To give away, to use. When Jesus taught the parables of the talents, you can include the giftings he gives to each of us. If we don't learn to use those gifts in humility and in love for others and bless them, they go dormant. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't use what I've given you, I'll take it away, right? The three stewards, two of whom were faithful to use what they had, the third buried it. So here's the thing. If I am speaking in a tongue, I'm building myself up. How is that a gift for the body of Christ? unless there is an interpretation for it. So Paul is making this very clear. Uh, it doesn't have a public use unless it's linked to an interpretation or it's self-edification. And I can remember, Ben, over the decades, way back, we would be in some worship times. You know, I was in the charismatic renewal and we used to use the metaphor, wow, the roof came off the place last night in the worship. Because we, we would be in the presence of God just overwhelmed. It was amazing times. 
and I'm not saying we won't have them again. I'm hoping people will get so hungry for his presence that when we're on the other side of this, we come together, we blow off every roof around. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right. Amen. But there would be somebody that would, in a pause between songs or a quiet moment, speak out in tongues. And it, it would get a little uncomfortable and everybody would wait. And then somebody would speak up. And you know what they were doing? They were prophesying to the people. Now, this is not what Paul says the purpose of tongues is. The purpose of tongues here is to edify oneself because I'm speaking to God. I'm uttering groanings. I'm speaking mysteries. I'm, I am uh, appealing and petitioning according to the perfect will of God in Romans chapter 8. This is a holy, profound moment I, I am in here. And if it's supposed to be for the congregation, there has to be an interpretation. And you know what? I've never heard anyone speak publicly in tongues and someone else interpret that as a prayer directed to God. So it is supposed to edify the people in their worship of the Lord Jesus, not send them with one directive uh, word. They're all supposed to go out and, you know, root for the Yankees or something, which is a good prophecy. Okay. <laughs> right. That's an important clarification. I, I gather, obviously, Jerry, that you're spending time there, and, and for good reason. You even give a great personal anecdote of your experience in that tradition. And I think that's, you've just answered one of the biggest questions on people's minds. How has this uh, passage been misconstrued? And, in, and of course, in practice, how, has it, how, how have we confused it by treating tongues always as this public ministry sans interpretation? Seems to be one of the most obvious clarifications for me, but I think it gives it uh, a lot of clean, cl cleanness and clarity in terms of public tongues. So uh, thank you for addressing that. That's important. Absolutely. So we can conclude there. Uh, if there's not an interpretation, there should not be a public tongue, right? And by the way, the goal should not be to come to a church service to have a public tongue. Much, Paul says in a minute here, he says, I'd much rather you prophesy than speak in tongues publicly. Okay, right. I'll be, I'm going to pick up the pace, right? <clears throat> so we see that he's saying, look, I'm not going to benefit you in tongues in verse 6 unless there is an interpretation uh, in this public setting. And then in verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So there isn't an internal edification here. This is that public use of the tongue. Again, it must be with an interpretation or it's unfruitful because I didn't understand it and no one out there is going to understand it. And by the way, what are we interpreting? We're interpreting those, those deep groanings, those prayers to God, those, those uh, kind of like modern Psalms people would be crying out to the Lord. Uh, that's the interpretation. It's not an easy gift to use. That's why people should take this very seriously. Okay, so now, perspective, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul is comparing time that he's speaking in tongues outside of church. That's why he said in verse 19, nevertheless, when I'm in church, I'd rather be prophesying. So what is Paul talking about? I speak in tongues more than all of you. Everyday life. 
everyday life, remember what Paul did when he was uh, traveling his first and second missionary journeys, if they hadn't planted a church, he would go where? Into the synagogue and start debating. Now, do you think when he went into the synagogue with the Pharisees or the religious leaders, he's speaking in tongues to them? No. In fact, the evidences are recorded in the book of Acts. Paul even uses some of his own narrative to talk about his conversations uh, in the midst of those. He is speaking in the language of those people, all right? So what he's saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you, hint, hint, hey, you want to build yourself up, you want to be edified, you want to pray according to the perfect will of God, you want to be in an attitude of worship. When you're going about your job, when you're driving in your car, when you're on your camel like I am, wherever you are, pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Now, when he's walking with his team and they're debating, he's saying, all right, now, Timothy, I want you to go to Ephesus this time while I'm at Corinth. Do you think he was doing that in tongues or was he speaking the common language? See, we, we so mystify this, Ben, we miss it. Over-mystification misses the obvious. Yeah, the obvious I appreciate that. Here That's is, good. There is a public time in a church setting that should be very rarely used. Okay? Prophecy should be used regularly. Tongues, on the other hand, that personal glossolalia, the language of angels, of the heavenly spirits that God has given to those that seek it, and folks, if you're listening and you want that, God will give it to you. That is for your edification. It strengthens you. I mean, I'll, this afternoon, I'll be out in our garage. We've got a gym. I might pray in tongues in between sets. And if I can't get the weight up, maybe during the set. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's amazing. I mean, it, it is part of everyday life. And this is what I was saying before. We so build this up as something so unbelievably unobtainable and um, so rare. It's supposed to be, if the Holy Spirit is in us, he wants to pray to the Father through us. And Paul teaches this, all right? The right. Holy so Spirit is that... praying, th he's praying through me when I'm speaking in tongues on my own. That's good. So is that where we marry this passage, 1 Corinthians 14, with the Romans 8, 26? Jerry, is that where you're going next? Is I don't want to jump ahead. No, that's exactly where it is, where um, after uh, Paul talks about the creation groaning hasn't been consummated yet. So we are, we're not, Jesus hasn't returned yet. We don't, we're not in full glory to glory life. In fact, Paul said in Corinthians that we are we see through a glass darkly and we are transformed day by day from degree of glory to degree as we behold him. This is all the journey, the inside out journey, Ben, that we were talking about of beholding Jesus, Romans 8. As I'm beholding him, I'm being transformed. And, and some of that is me praying in tongues with words beyond which I can even voice. I have a prayer list of people that are terminally ill all over the country, not of Corona, of other things. I've had this for a long time. Some are still on the list. Others have passed away. Others are getting better. Sometimes I'm not sure, like, do I pray every day? Oh, Lord, heal them. Where am I going with this? Right. Sometimes I'm in, I'm in the groaning grounds. Mm. Lord, I just feel a burden for so-and-so today. What mm. am I going to do? I'm going to pray in tongues then. 
And according to what Paul said, it is the will of God. And if Paul wrote it, I'm good with that. So what have we learned? Tongues is to God. Prophecy is to men and women. When I speak in tongues, I build myself up, and therefore I strengthen my soul as the Spirit gives me utterance. So we conclude that there is a spiritual gift of tongues for public gatherings that should be used in rare circumstances. And I would recommend any pastor, hint Ben, um, that is going to allow that in a service to make sure there is someone there with a proven gift of interpretation so that it is uh, not abused. Here's the thing, folks. When you are all together, like at Watermark or any other church, whenever we come together, you don't really need someone to be exercising tongues and interpretation in that setting. Not necessarily. Unless there's one person there that needs to hear that prayer. But the prophetic words are to build the whole house up, right? So we have to differentiate. But then secondly, so that's the public gift, there is a private prayer language the glossolalia, the language of angels, the utterings to the Lord for each individual that builds us up and strengthens us and turns us to Christ and, and conforms us to his image and prays his will. And so, do you want me to take an offering now? Yes, I think they're ready. Bring it home, man. No, it's good. So it's good. I, I, I hope that um, gives some clarity here. It does. And I just want to double back on this idea of Romans 8. I didn't read it uh, in case you were going to go into it, but I, I just want to pull it up. It, it, it additionally happens to be one of my favorite verses and favorite theologies in Scripture. And I think it's relevant for this uh, historical context we find ourselves in, but it also is, is again, germane to, to the, the study you're walking us through. And so this, this is um, uh, Romans 8. Uh, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, but we do not know how we should pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. I mean, you, you use that language throughout this entire study, Jerry. You reference it two or three times. Now, um, is it, am I understanding tr- or tracking clearly? Uh, because I've always read this as the spirit, as it says, uh, just the lit- most tight literal way of reading it, which is when I don't have the words, you kind of talk about this, uh, when I don't have the words, man, I don't, I don't need to fret. I don't need to put this classic verse together in, in my prayer time with God and have it be perfect and polished. Many times, many people may find themselves in those, in those shoes exactly right now during this season. And, and yet it's been such a great sense of peace for me that I don't have to put together these prayers. I know that the spirit on my behalf is making petitions and pleas on my behalf to the father. It's such a comfort, such a joy, such, such peace just from that alone. Um, but is it okay for us to read that, and that it's not just the spirit that intercedes with inexpressible groanings, is another way of saying that, that when we are in our private prayer language, i.e. tongues, that that is the spirit in us. And those, right. that's another word, just use those words in, in, interchangeably, groanings, tongues. That's what's happening when we pray in our, in our time with the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because remember what Paul said. Now, you've you got to read this in the context of all that we've been talking about out of the book of Acts, that Paul... Who knows? He might have put the pen down after he wrote chapter 7, which is a 
tough chapter, I imagine, for him to write where he said, oh, woe is me. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. What is it? And he says, there is the presence of sin in me that is in my flesh. I do no good thing. And then you get into this wonderful chapter, chapter 8, that we are actually sons, and God sent his spirit to dwell in us as heirs. So in the context of everything he's writing, let's say Paul took a break after he wrote chapter 7. Of course, it was a letter, so he wasn't writing a chapter. What are the odds that he didn't speak in tongues at all after writing that incredible section there? I'm not saying he did. I'm not reading into Scripture. All I'm saying is tongues was a way of life then. It should be a way of life now. So the context of Romans 8 cannot ignore Paul's lifeline, his experience throughout the book of Acts, the planting of all of the churches, and then the teaching on it in 1 Corinthians. So when you join Romans 8 to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you get a clear picture here of the Holy Spirit interceding through us according to the will of God. Does that mean that God is not sovereign enough, that maybe when I'm sleeping and I really need help with something, the Holy Spirit isn't interceding? No. Do I know that? No. I don't know. He's God. But in terms of our involvement, it's tongues. You can't separate the two contextually. That's beautiful. And I think answers also an age-old question that I hear from believers is, how do I know I'm in the will of the Father? And how do I know the Father's will? And how do I pray according to His will? And this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this, this definitely needs to be pulled into that. I've, I've coached and encouraged, uh, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ before. Um, <laughs> you don't need to end every prayer uh, or, or with, if it's your will, Lord. You know, that, that's, that's almost like a, a needless extra uh, in many cases. So, I know I'm changing the subject a little bit, but. No, I think it's us. good. It, it's germane to our topic. There is only, I've only ever heard uh, two perfect prayers. One is in Matthew 6, called the Lord's Prayer. The other is John 17, what, what is called Jesus' high priestly prayer, right? Other than that, everything else is imperfect. So I don't care how eloquent I am or aren't, or I should say am or ain't, right? Uh, I'm never going to have the perfect prayer. So folks, uh, don't worry about that. And if you're not sure how you should pray, there are times I've said to the Lord, uh, I'm in a situation with, you know, uh, I'm working with a pastor. Or there was a tough situation back east I had to deal with recently. Lord, I'm not even sure how to pray for this one. Guess what I did, Ben? I prayed in right. tongues. Right. right. I just prayed in tongues. I wasn't sure. And I said to the Lord, I'm not sure how to pray for this one. And then a little while later, he started to impress on me principles from Scripture. Then I went and studied the Scriptures, and the wisdom came from the Holy Spirit. But it began with me saying, oh, very imperfect prayer, Lord, not sure what to do, praying in tongues, guidance to the Scripture. Beautiful picture. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's spot on. And I think um, I, I just want to get a little bit real and practical for those who are watching this or listening to it, depending on the format. Um, you know, we did this Bible study together one-on-one -on -one in our meeting time before uh, quarantine, of course. This was many months ago. And after the study and after I had time to, a day, a week, really, to process and think about the Bible study you'd led me through, we then set up a meeting and you, and you prayed for me and you led me through the scriptures and, and you asked God to impart my own personal 
you know, private prayer language. And it was a, a, a wonderful experience, an authentic experience, not an experience. We even talked about this where I admitted to you, hey, I have no pressure to show off. I have no pressure to make your, your prayers over me to receive a prayer language, uh, language uh, be effective or, or fake it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not interested in that. Of course, we've never been that way. Um, and yet there was an authentic filling of the spirit right. where I felt that, and I, and I remember, and this is jumping into probably a whole other session, but I wanted to end with this, um, that if people are interested and they want to know more, maybe they want to have an appointment where we can pray for them, that we will certainly set that up with them. And I just wanted to speak from experience how, how, how authentic and intimate that time was, how biblical it was, and how I felt like God definitely used you and used that time to, to give me a prayer language. And then in the weeks after that, exactly as you described, in the car, moments of fatigue, moments of, of, of even short-term crisis where I didn't know the words, I would just click into this so-called babbling. And I think that, yeah. I think that you know, you, that was another thing you added the day you prayed for me was that, that you used the image and the metaphor of a, of a parent and a child. And that obviously is so <laughs> relatable for me because I have these young babies, these little ones, and I see mm -hmm. how they try and communicate through babbling. And I see the, I see the love there. I see the, the intimacy there. And, and the and and the heart behind that, and right. so that was very freeing for me. So I just want people to know, even as their hearts are being softened to p p possibly setting up an appointment with us for this, that um, that's what that's what this is about, and that unlocked a lot for me because I just that's what resonates for me is when I think about God as a father, as a real father, as an intimate yeah. father, as a daddy, and I think about myself. I put myself in the in the shoes of being a child again. Mm. Man, and for some people, Jerry, right, regard, uh, uh, um, depending on their family, on their family words, depending on whatever, they don't have kids, and years away from having young babies. And so maybe it's a bigger jump. But for me, man, just even you setting that up allowed me to jump that chasm and say, you know what? Yeah, this, is, this works, man. This makes sense to me in the father-child relationship. You know, I think we have, maybe it's the American church. I love the picture you just gave of your own family. I think, Ben, maybe you can agree with me on this. I think we as Americans try to make the Bible more difficult to understand than Jesus meant it to be. If, if he put it in the language of the common man, it must mean that we can understand this thing, right? And, and you know, that is where that childlike faith comes in. So I want to encourage the folks uh, with Ben's invitation People argue over, well, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit one time? Is it an ongoing? Have you been baptized or haven't you? Different sermon, but let me go to the conclusion. If you are in Christ, you've been baptized into his Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, Paul also said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, remember we talked about Acts 19 when he had already laid hands on them, telling the same people, hey, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time over and over again, because we leak. It's mm. called the flesh. So yeah. if we were to pray over someone, we would lay hands on you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, gives you your prayer language. Remember what Jesus said. He said, listen to me. Do you think if, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father is going to give you a scorpion or a stone? Mm. Right. This is the gift for his children. It's good. Beautiful. Paul call, or Peter called it the promise to you and all yours that are far off at the end of his incredible sermon in Acts chapter 2. So what a gift, folks, the Lord has for every one of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's a great punctuation. At the expense of adding to it, I just want to highlight for people in case um, 
they, they, they are interested in more experiential practice of this. I started by saying how we had that prayer appointment. You prayed over me. I, I, I felt filled with the spirit in this fresh new way. And that I also had opportunities to practice it. And, and, I, and I'll just say, um, <laughs> those moments were incredible. They were visceral um, over my body in the moments driving in the car or a high stress season, or as you say, praying for people when you just don't have the words. It was exactly what I needed. Uh, there are many days when between work and the kids and coming home from a work shift and going into the house and knowing it's going to be my second shift, I can't turn it off. I can't, you can't just, you don't just get to go have a nap. No, you're going into, you know, for those who do have young families and kids, you're going Amen. into your second job, you know, and, and I, and I have to pray, God, I need that second feeling right now. And maybe I'm not using the English words I'm using right now. I'm in my prayer language and I, and I'm telling you the, the reality of what I feel, what overcomes me inside and outside that inside out experience of prayer with God has been visceral mm. and powerful. So I just want to use that mm. as a testimony for those who are interested. Maybe they've been on the fence. Maybe they come from an unhealthy tradition. Maybe they just have no yeah. knowledge of this whatsoever. Please be encouraged, you guys. And if you're interested, c come to us. You know how to reach us. Um, uh, you can message us and, and we'll, we'll, we'll set something up for you. Fantastic, Ben. So well said there. I love that. By the way, your first job is as a dad. The second one's the pastor. There you go. That's the right order. <laughs> Amen. I agree. Good. Well, um, thank you so much, Yuri, for your time. Oh. You, you hang on there. Stay on the line. I'm, we're going to keep chatting guys. a little bit. But yeah, thank you all for listening. And uh, again, we will follow up with you. Um, you can email me, ben.appleby at watermarkoc.org. Uh, and I'll forward you Jerry's email if you want. Uh, I just don't know it off the top of my head. Jerry, what's your, what's, you want to give your email out? It's a long Dr. one. <laughs> Why don't you just forward it to them if they come to you? Great. Excellent, guys. We'll get you in touch with Jerry. He's very accessible. So thank you again, Jerry, and thank you guys for listening. Hang on there, Jerry. We'll continue. <laughs>